welcome everybody. How are we doing? Good. Gosh, what a great day. And do we have some college peeps up there, I think? Yay, there they are. Those are my people. I love it. So, uh, hey, well, they know this, and, and I, some of you know me, some of you don't, but you got to know this. The best thing about knowing me is really knowing the four girls that I live with. Um, those are them. My beautiful wife, Araya, Graceland, Lydia, and Abby. And uh, I don't know about you, but do you ever take family road trips? Well, two weeks ago, uh, we packed this family into a 1998 Nissan Sentra. I think in 98, that was actually the smallest car that Nissan made. So we packed everybody into that Nissan Sentra, and we went 2,500 miles round trip in six days to San Diego and back. Uh, Now, I don't know about your family, but you make a trip like that, and you have a tendency to have some stories to tell. Uh, Some of them, some are fun stories. Like, uh, man, I loved wearing flip-flops and shorts and sitting outside at an in-and-out table. That was good. I loved uh, watching our girls enjoy theme park rides. Uh, We loved going to the beach in southern San Diego, Coronado Island, and they got to play in the water and go into that thing called an ocean that's actually warm. You know, in Oregon, we have the coast. In California, they actually have the beach. Um, We got to go to the wedding, and the wedding was an absolute blast. It was great food, and the people we got to celebrate just love others so well. And then we also had some other stories to go with this trip. Um, One of the families we stayed with, our friends, the Schreibers, their girls are prone to catch lizards because lizards are around Southern California. And it just so happened that one of our girls stepped on one of those lizards in a rather hard fashion. And uh, let's just say blood was found at the scene and CPR was not going to bring that lizard back to life. Um, (laughs) Another one of the stories, uh, I, I know you've been there. You're, you're humming down the road. You want to just get going, and there's an emergency potty stop. Daddy, I got to go to the bathroom. We just went 10 minutes ago. I know, but I didn't have to go 10 minutes ago. So here we are. We're rolling down the road, and Abby, our youngest, is like, I got to go to the bathroom. You know, Is it that spot? No. How about the next one? So finally, we pull over to the side of the road, and it's like, let's be honest. If you're, if you're going to the bathroom on the side of the road, it's awkward anyway, especially it's girls. You're trying to get the doors just right you know, so they can get right between the doors. And, and so we've got poor little Abby, you know, squatting down right between the doors. And uh, so it's hard enough as it is, but it got even harder when we realized where we stopped, there was just like, just gobs of red ants all over the ground. <laughs> and suddenly she started saying, ouch, 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 you know. Um, some of the stories are just like trying to get out of town, right? I mean, it's, when you're making a trip like this, it's hard to get out of town. You've got that checklist of, okay, did we clean the refrigerator out so nothing's bad and smelling when we come back? You know, did we run the garbage disposal? Are there dirty dishes? Did we close all the windows? Do we have somebody feeding our dog or our cat and making sure that's taken care of? Our girls wish we had that problem. Please don't give them that problem. Um, but there's a ton of things to do when you're getting out of town. It's hard sometimes to get out of town. Can you relate? And so one of the things, I think one of the hardest, one of the best things is I had a good friend, he goes, hey, let me look your car over before you go. Now, when you're getting ready to head out of town, I'm thinking of all the stuff we gotta take care of with the college ministry and make sure our house is squared away. The last thing I wanted to do with the, the, the load of stuff, my to-do list, was take the car away for two or three hours. I mean, it's in fine shape. Uh, but finally, Kevin Baker, my good friend, said, no, let me have one of my mechanics look at it. Okay, so we work it in two days before the trip, drop the car off. Uh, I'm standing there and and they just do a walk around the car, his mechanic and him. And he goes, you know, it looks pretty good. Your wipers are good. Your tires look good. But, you know, let's get it up on the lift and get a good look at it. 
So uh, I head over to McDonald's for the wireless internet, and two hours later, he says, he says come on back over, your car is ready. And uh, most of it was good, but not all of it. So this is the receipt that he gave me. Needs tires to be safe. That is the last thing that I wanted to hear. He goes, yeah, when we took a good look at your tires, there's some thin spots on the inside of your tires that we couldn't tell from just the walk around. So as he's looking at me, he goes, hey, I called around to check on some tires and uh, we've got some options for you. He goes, or you can risk it. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm kind of a risk taker. Uh, and uh, so I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm adding up the dollars. I'm adding up two or three more hours, you know, probably need an alignment too. And I'm just going, oh man, or you can risk it. And those words, do I want to risk it? They just hung in my brain that whole afternoon. And now here's the deal. We talked about there's really two kinds of risk. There's good risk and there's bad risk. You know, some of those things that Laura talked about, those are great risks that God is inviting people into. And I just thought, you know, this morning, you know, we all come from different spots. Let's have a little test on good risk, bad risk. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make a statement and then you're just going to reply altogether, good risk or bad risk, depending on what you think it is. Um, but we got to practice. I don't want the, I mean, you're the 11 o'clock people, so there's no like good risk. You know, I want it fully out there. So on three, I want to hear good risk. One, two, three. Good Pretty good. Okay. Now how about bad risk on three? One, two, three. Bad risk. Okay. Here we go. First one. I know I'm on empty, but I can probably make it to the next gas station. Some people have been there. <laughs> Parents, you can relate to this one. I know this is our last diaper, but I'm sure we'll make it till tomorrow. Yes. yes. Okay, how about this one? Go on a mission trip. Uh, go to the men's group, even though I don't know anyone there. Uh, this chocolate milk is a week outdated, but it doesn't smell that bad. Yeah, I heard college guys had some good risks up there. Yeah. And how about this last one? Make space in my house to adopt a child in need. And those good risks, I want you to know, every one of those came off those, those yellow slips of paper out there. The things that God is putting on people's heart. The good risks that he's asking them to take. But here's the thing. If we never stop. If we never stop and get our lives up on the lift the way we got that car up on the lift, if we don't stop long enough, sometimes we don't even hear the good risks that God is asking us to take. Not having a stopping place, not having a quiet place, a getaway place in our life, a rhythm of getting away to look at our lives and see how we're really doing, not just from the walk around, but to really see what's really going on in the inside of our lives is a bad risk. But how do we do that? How do we build that rhythm into our life in the year 2014 where it feels like so much is coming at us all the time? In fact, recent statistic would say this, that advertising alone is trying to get your attention with 3,000 messages a day. 3,000 messages a day are coming at us from all kinds of angles and they're telling us that we need to do more, be more, and have more. Life is full. Life is full is busy and it's hard to get away and look at how we're really doing. Well, here's what we're gonna do. Today, we're gonna go right back to Mark. I know we've been there, but we're gonna go back there again and look at Jesus and say, man, how did Jesus do this? Jesus knew the things, knew the temptations to busyness that we all can have. He knew the temptation of not stopping. So let's take a look at his life. Uh, Mark 1, 29 to 39. 
Uh, I'm going to read this from the NIV, and it'll be up on the the screen as well, or you can go to your, your own Bible. And just to set this up, so right before, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just called the disciples to follow him, and it is booming. Like, the, the ministry honestly probably couldn't have started any better. Right after he calls them, they head into the synagogue. He casts out a demon, so he's done his first miracle. The Bible then tells us news about him spread quickly. Imagine right away how excited the disciples were to be a part of this new movement. The word was getting out, and people were showing up. Here we go, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You know, there's a couple lines in there that stick out to me in particular, and I wonder if they're ones that you can resonate with. The whole town is gathered at the door. Do you ever feel like just outside your doorstep, just outside your front door, maybe even inside your house, there's just a line of people and a line of things that need your intention. And, and many times they're good things. They're not bad things, but there's a line of things at your door calling your name. How about verse 37, the, the sandwich around Jesus' time away, the whole town is gathered at the door. This one is, everybody's looking for you. And the Greek language literally means they're hunting you down. The disciples said, we are going to go find Jesus. They went hunting him down. Parents, do you ever feel that way? Everybody's looking for you. I honestly, I have this spot uh, in my shower. The girls just know when I'm in the shower with my head against the wall, hot water running down, stay away, you know? But I swear, as soon as I go in there, they're looking for me. Where's daddy? Where's daddy? Where's daddy? Interrupt his time to be quiet. Everybody's looking for you. How about this? Do you ever look at your schedule and your to-do list and you just go, oh, everybody is looking for me. It feels like it weighs a thousand pounds. Do you think about the relationships that you have sometimes and it's a drain. It's hard to keep up with family and friendships and work relationships and organizations and my friends and my, my kids' parents' friends. Do you ever feel the weight of life? Do you ever feel this thing? Ringing and binging and pinging and buzzing and ringing and notifying you and saying, look at me, pay attention to me. Everybody is looking for you. And oftentimes we feel like we need to be more, do more, and have more. We, we live in a distracted world that is calling for our attention all the time. So what did Jesus do with this? Verse 35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I wanna read that one more time. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Why did he do that? 
Man, it's the beginning of the ministry. Things are, I mean, he's been waiting 30 years himself to start this. The disciples are excited. I mean, if it was me, I would have gathered the disciples together and said, man, let's have a strategy session. Okay, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. I mean, we don't even have to go anywhere. The news is spread. Like people are just gonna keep coming to us. We could just stay right here. In fact, I bet all of their needs would have been taken care of. It would have been very comfortable for Jesus to stay right there. Yet he went away to a solitary place while it was still dark. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus knew how dangerous, how risky it was to not have a quiet place in the midst of our successes. Because quite honestly, sometimes when success is happening, it's like, how are you doing? Man, I don't even need prayer for anything. Everything's going great. But when we're defined by the results of our successes or the results of our failures, it's a risky place to be. I think Jesus knew and he was tempted just like you and me to be defined by the success he was having in that moment. I wonder if Jesus needed to get away to just hear the one voice. The one voice that he had just heard days earlier at his baptism. The one that as he came up out of the water said, this is my son whom I love. Because oftentimes when, when, when we're in the midst of failure or when they're in the midst of success, we forget that we are the son or daughter loved by God. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that he should call us children of God. Then this is the next thing that Jesus says after he hears the one voice. We must go to the other towns to preach because that is why I have come. I think in that stopping place, that quiet place, he actually gained clarity on the mission that he had next. While it would have made so much sense to stay there when he had got away to the quiet place to hear the one voice, the one voice took him from a good thing to a new thing. And honestly, it is so hard, isn't it? I mean, it must have been so tempting to just stay there and help those people and pour into those people, and yet God was calling him on to a new thing. And for those of us that are doers and helpers and want to help everybody on the planet, you're so wonderful. My wife is one of those people. Sometimes we have to say no to one of those things so that we can say new to, so we can say yes to a new good thing that God has for us. He's got it covered. You know, we could be tempted to look at this and say, yeah, but that was Jesus. Like, that was God's son. I mean, this is two, 2014, and I'm here now in the flesh. That was God's son. Well, I want to remind us what we learned all through Mark, and that is Jesus was tempted in every way that we've been tempted. Look at Hebrews 4.15 with me, please. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Man, I think Jesus had to get away to that place because he was tempted with wanting to be more relevant, with wanting to build something bigger. He was tempted with status. He was tempted to just keeping things going and letting his life, letting the tires of his life run thin. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. Tempted to maybe ignore the symptoms of a life that doesn't stop a life that doesn't have a resting place, a life that doesn't have a place to get away and hear the one voice. You know, I asked some friends, this was actually kind of fun, I asked some friends, uh, uh, what happens in your life when you don't have the stopping place? When you don't stop to really see how am I really doing, when you don't stop to get away and hear that one voice of God who loves you so much, what do you see happen in your life? And here's what they said. They said, I become irritable and angry when I'm running thin. The way I talk to my loved ones is not loving at all. 
I have an increased temptation for sin to look at things that I know I shouldn't be looking at. The grass becomes greener someplace else. It's all about the environment. And if I could just change that, everything would come together. I do things that are uncharacteristic of who I really am. I get lazy. My stress turns into anxiety and it gets so heavy, the little things become big things. Ordinarily, small problems suddenly become big. And I bet if we went around this room, we could name 50 other things that we see happen in our lives when we go and go and we don't have a stopping place, we don't have a resting place, we don't get away in the midst of the busyness. And if you wanna know, if you wanna know, here's one ga- or here's three things that you could do to gauge how am I really doing. One is this, listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Luke 6.45 says this, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I know for me, sometimes Araya goes, you've been talking about being tired a lot. I need to pay attention to that. I remember one time, uh, especially when we were first married, and we were, ta- we were having a conversation. I thought it was a conversation. It suddenly goes, you're yelling. I was like, I am? She goes, yes. I was like, I thought that was just my football coach voice. You know, it wasn't. Please stop. You know? I was at a thin place in my life. And sometimes if we don't stop, we don't even realize it, right? I did not even realize the way that I was speaking because I was running on thin tires. I was truly in a danger zone. So notice the words that are coming out of your mouth. Do you get cynical? Do you get negative? How about this? Notice your thought life. Do you ever catch yourself inside that wishing someone else would fail so that you could look better? I've been there. Do you ever have thoughts that suddenly come in on the thin places and you go, man, where, I don't even know where that came from, but I know I don't want it there. Sometimes I get there in the thin places. What's your thought life like? And then how about this one? How's your activity level? Because oftentimes when we're in the thin places, we go, a lot of us go one of two ways. One is I just need to shut the world out and go veg and watch Netflix all day. College students can relate to that one. <laughs> A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of chuckling up there. Here's the other one. I just want to go crazy. I just want to be active, active, active. And they do everything and meet every need until they burn out. We either zone out or we burn out. What's your activity level like? You know, and this isn't about shaming. You know, this is about when Araya said that, it brought self-awareness so that I could actually see what I was doing and the way I was living because I wanted to be transformed. I wanted to love her and I wanted to love my family so much better. Now then I asked myself, well, what's the effect on your life when you do get this rhythm of quiet, when you do get this rhythm of getting away? And I know we'd be tempted to say, well, it's just the opposite, right? But I want you to listen to some of the things that people said. It says, when I get this rhythm in my life, when I get away, I have courage to take the good risks that God is inviting me to. I get renewal. Psalm 23 is what I'm reminded of, that God leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I draw others to Jesus. I engage and love others better, especially those that are closest to me. I gain perspective. That in the midst of the hard things, I realize that God's track record of coming through is pretty good. One said, when I wake up in the morning, I have an attitude of I can't wait for what you have for me versus how can I just get through this day? Anybody been there? One says, I can see more clearly what God has for me. The other one said, I am enough and I have enough. I realize I am enough and I have enough when I get to that quiet place in my life. Do you ever get scriptures that are just like stuck in your head? 
This one is just in light of everything that we're saying. This is one that's just been stuck in my head and I can't get rid of it. And it seems like everything I read comes back to it. And uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, Acts 17, 28. For in him, Christ, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In that quiet place, we live, that's our identity. We move, that's our direction and have our being. That's every bit of us. That's the idea that God can't love us anymore and God can't love us any less. When we get away to the quiet place, I live, my living is in Christ. My moving is in Christ. Everything about me is in Christ. Christ who is my life. But I forget that when I start running on thin tires. So knowing all these things, it's like what keeps us from stopping? What is it that keeps us from getting off the treadmill? Or what is it that keeps us from getting on the couch, off the couch and waking up? For some of us, it's just busy. Man, it's hard. And for those of you that love serving other people, one of the hardest things is to stop doing so many good things that you know are a detriment to your own soul. Busyness. Uh, one of my good friends, Bob Goff, wrote a book, Love Does. Bob said, I quit something every Thursday. <laughs> He gets more opportunities to speak and do everything else. He goes, I just have to quit something every Thursday. I started saying, every once in a while, I get a, an opportunity to speak at a youth camp. And you know, especially if it's a friend, I like agonize over that, right? Oh, I want to say yes to him. And I'm looking at this opportunity. But you know what my schedule is saying? Bad risk. You know, don't do it. You know what my wife is saying? Bad risk. Like, don't do it. They'll get somebody else. I'm going, oh, but I want to help them. And I call them up and say, I can't do it. No problem. We got somebody else. God's got it taken care of, you guys. Sometimes we're not sure what to do. What would I do with that time? We've got this awesome place called the Upper Room. If you walk right across the street to Broadway Coffee House, get in the elevator, go up to the fourth floor, double check the hours. But when you go inside that place, there's gonna be somebody sitting there that would love to pray for you, that would love to help guide you. There's some uh, materials over there that'll say, man, this is how you could help engage God on a day away. It's an amazing, amazing place. Uh, for some of you, it's like, it's gotten stale. You know, my quiet place has gotten stale. It's gotten boring. Same thing, I would say, not only go check that out because they'll help walk alongside you, but maybe you need to do something new. Man, summer's coming. Could you go for a walk? Could you go for a hike? You know, I wonder if Jesus did a little bit of walking and praying while he was out there. I wonder if he did a little bit of looking at creation and say, hey, dad, look what we made together. You know, it doesn't have to look like just a 10-minute quiet time in the morning. Maybe you need to change things up. Some of us have uh, what I call FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, <laughs> But there's so many good things. Like, I don't want to miss any of them. And I know you don't want to miss any of them. And they're all great. But somehow we die inside when we don't stop. We can remember in the quiet place that we're going to get enough. We have enough. We'll get enough. And we are enough. Another one is fear. When I stop, sometimes I see things in my life that I don't want to see. But here's the thing to remember. It's love that draws us to that place. And it's truth that sets us free. So when we don't stop, we don't see that our tires are running thin and it's hard to look at the truth. But when I look at the truth and I know that I'm invited there by love, then transformation can begin to happen. It's hard. We have an enemy that would love us to stay so busy doing so many good things that we wind up burned out and spent. See, God doesn't do, God doesn't do manipulation or guilt or shaming techniques so that he can get you one-on-one -on -one in that quiet place with his arms folded or his finger out so that he can straighten you out. That's not what it's about. He is just so crazy in love with you. 
whether you're eight or 80, he is just so unbelievably madly in love with you that he says, come away with me to a quiet place where you can remember that you find your life in Christ. I can, I can, you can find your moving and your direction in Christ. You can be absolutely surrounded by my love. He just says, come away with me and you'll find purpose and you'll find peace. So in all that, like, where do we go from here? Where do we go in the year 2014? And I love this because we're heading into summer. This is such a good time to be thinking about how we're really doing it. I wanna, I wanna look at it from two angles. One would be, what's our getting away place like individually? What's it like for you personally? But I also wanna look at, what's it like as a community? How can we help each other? So as individuals, if you look at building this rhythm into your life, maybe you need to do some new things. Here's a couple ideas. Maybe it's turning off the radio or the podcast, or whatever you've got playing on your iPod on the way to work, and using that time to be quiet. Maybe it's setting your alarm a little earlier, or going to bed a little earlier. Maybe it's heading to your backyard or a local park. Yeah, uh, yesterday, I, I think oftentimes God has me teach something because I need to learn it, not because you, you need to learn it. He goes, Jeremy, I'm gonna have you teach this because you're gonna have to investigate it. So yesterday morning, uh, I took all three of our girls, and we went garage sailing while Araya sat on the porch or sat on the back deck in a recliner with her Bible and her journal, and I came back, and her face looked very different than it did when we left. She didn't have the noise. She didn't have the dishes. She didn't look at any of that stuff. She just got to get away and remember the one voice. Maybe it's something you're already doing, but making it more intentional. I've got a good friend. He goes, you know, I walk the dog, and that's been my quiet place, but maybe I can be more intentional about how I engage God. Maybe while I'm walking the dog, I remember that I'm walking with God too. Another friend said this, playing guitar. He was getting by myself and getting some new chords to a worship song. That fills my soul. I love that uh, Laura said, man, some people can stand and sit and kneel because we don't all have to do it the same. But Jesus had a rhythm of getting away, of going to that quiet place, of going to a place where we can see, how am I really doing? Are my tires thin? How can I be refilled? Here's one that I love. Bring your kids over here, parents. Bring your kids over here, get into our awesome children's ministry, get a pager, and don't walk in here. Walk across the street to Broadway and go get some time alone in the upper room, especially when Fowler's preaching. <laughs> now, he, he and I talked about that, and we said, you know what? Do we wanna be about fitting people into a program or connecting people deeply with God? And sometimes maybe you walk in on a weekend and you go, I don't need to sit in the pews today. It's gonna be a great message and all, but I think I need to go sit in the upper room and I need to sit with him and let him talk to me. Maybe that's what you need to do. And that brings me to the second angle. And this is one that just really, really excites me. How can we think as a community of people of how we can bless each other with this gift of getting away? Because I know for some people, you may be sitting here right now going, that sounds great, but I feel so stuck in my life. I don't even know how to get there. I don't know how to get to that spot. Maybe you're a single parent or maybe you're just, your life feels so busy and full. You don't know how to get to this place and get away. What if we started dreaming and scheming and looking around in our world, all of us looking around and saying, let's look for somebody like that and just bless them. What if we found a single mom or a single dad and just said, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Here's food for you. We're taking your kids. Go do whatever you need. You need to go to the park. You need to go to the beach for a half a day. You need to head over to the upper room. Awesome. We'll meet you over there and take your kids into the family room. Array and I'll take your kids and they'll play with our kids and you go do what you need to do. What if we just had a blast blessing people, blowing their socks off by the way that we love them? What if kids, college students, high school, what if you made dinner? for your mom and dad. And then you did all the dishes. 
and then you sent them away right after dinner and they went down to Riverfront Park and they took a walk around Riverfront Park and the first round was by themselves, just them and God. And then the second round was with each other, sharing about what he said to them. You know, uh, husbands and wives, could you give your spouse a Saturday morning? Roommates, could you just say, hey, I got the dishes tonight. Why don't you head out and do what you did? Use this time to go be with the Lord. The Fowlers used to do a weekly sharing, babysitting sharing. They said we had a family in town and one week they would take our kids and theirs and we'd be alone. The next week we would take our kids and theirs and they would get a chance to be alone. Like the, 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 the possibilities are endless. We actually, the bakers, the same folks that checked out our car said, Jeremy and Araya, you guys are pretty busy and you're preaching all weekend. How about this? How about we take your kids to our house for the night? I said, Araya, what do you wanna do? Nothing. <laughs> she goes, I just wanna get up and have time with Jesus, and have time with my journal. And I asked her, I said, are you getting the time of quiet that you need? And she said, I'm not. I said, how can I help? She was Wednesday mornings. Would you get up and just take care of all the kids and breakfast and everything Wednesday mornings, and then I could sleep in and go get this? I said, done. But you know what? She is so giving and so generous that if I don't ask, she won't think about it. You know those people in your life. You know, but if we can be people that start asking the question and say, how do we bless others? What would that do to our community? Because God is so creative and he is not limited by our ideas. Like he'll come up with even better ideas all the time. And what would it look like in our homes, with our roommates, in our schools, in our city, a city at peace with God, if we were not only getting that time away, but if we were giving it to others, if we were surprising others with this time. I wonder if people who are stuck would begin to get unstuck. I wonder if people that are numb in life would begin to come back to life again. I wonder if people who are busy to the max could get healthy again. Man, it would be so fun. And I gotta tell you, last night, again, I teach things because God says, hey, now I want you to do it. Last night, we went home and all our girls were sitting on the couch at about 8.30 and uh, we said, all right, guys, who can we bless? And then suddenly one of our daughters just said, hey, what about our neighbors across the street? Because it's a mom with three kids and dad is working four-month shifts on the East Coast. We said, bingo, we're on it. What if you sat around and had fun with your spouse or your roommates and say, how could we go bless somebody? Or maybe somebody in your house, you know, they're the ones that really need it. What would our world look like with that? So here's my challenge. I got a couple things I want you to think about. One, um, how are you doing? This is a great time to stop and say, man, if I put my life up on the lift, how am I really doing? How is your solitary time? And then what if we just asked each other, are you getting what you need? Is there a way that I can help? That'd be so beautiful if we walked out doing that. And here's the other one. Who can we bless? Who can we give this time away to? Who can we help remember that they live and move and find their being, their life in Christ? Now with that, I know what you're still wondering. There's one question that's gonna be ringing in your brains and that's this. Did he get the tires, right? Did he get the tires? I know there'd be 50 of you that walk up and say, I just gotta know, did you get the tires, you know? Um, so here we are, we're on the last leg of our trip. We're just past Sacramento, uh, Array is driving. I'm in the passenger seat, and as we're rolling along, suddenly I hear this, pop! We both look to our left as we watch this white sedan pull off the road with a blown tire. And I looked at Araya and said, I'm glad we got the new tires. <laughs> <laughs> Now, 
Could I have gotten a blown tire? Could I hit a nail with those new tires? Sure. I mean, that could have happened. But here's, here's, what, here's the difference that it made that we stopped and took care of the things that were going on in our lives. It changed the way I experienced the trip. Because you know what I would have been thinking about for 2,500 miles if I had had those old tires on. When's the bad thing going to happen? And then when it happened, I would have been going, oh, I knew it. I'm so dumb and I should have fixed it, you know. So what it did, man, it freed up the mental and emotional space so that I could actually love and be with the people that I cared about on the trip. I wasn't thinking about the tires. I was thinking about my wife and my kids and the journey that we were on. So stopping and taking a look helped me engage the journey in a totally different way. And I'm convinced For us, it doesn't prevent all the bad things from happening, but when we stop and get away in this way, it it gives us a chance to engage the journey totally different. Now, and I can tell you this, uh, that trip was a nine out of 10. Now, it might've been a 10, but the lizard kind of brought it down one. Uh, No, that trip was a nine, I mean, six days, 2,500 miles, five people, and every square inch of that car was packed. I mean, nine out of 10 is about the best that you can do. And uh, I think we got a shot. Graceland, this was her, her line. She goes, Dad, that trip was even better than I thought it would be. That trip was even better than I thought it would be. What kind of risks are you taking right now? 